This is a production of Cornell University. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Cornell Turf Show. We've been sort of in and out last couple of weeks, but uh, we'll get going uh, back on the horse here for this week and next week to, uh, to finish off our spring, almost, almost summer season now. Um, today's guest, Dr. Bill Kreuzer. Uh, Bill is the uh, founder of, of Greenkeeper app. Bill, I don't know if that's the, the exact right term, uh, but Bill also manages the Jamaica Golf Course, which we're talking about pre-show some of the greens there and and, and uh, some competitive tournaments tournaments uh, playing on those fast greens up there in Nebraska. So we'll get the, we'll get some some of Bill's thoughts today on and probably using data on some of the uh, management tactics he tactics he's uh, really sort of pioneered and developed now that that people can actually use the practical application of these things. So uh, we'll get to a conversation with Bill in a bit, uh, but I'll hand it off to Frank uh, for some of the opening thoughts today. Well, we had a little event up here uh, last week. I'm not sure everybody knew, uh, not far from where I sit. Uh, Jeff Corcoran and the crew at uh, Oak Hill Country Club delivered a absolutely spectacular PGA championship. And I know firsthand what that feels like as I was uh, intimately involved in the 2019 PGA championship uh, down at Beth Page. It's an enormously exciting experience. Of course, the, the tweeting from the staff and, 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 and then of course this guy, uh, absolutely lit the place on fire uh, and I think rejuvenated a fair amount of interest uh, in, in golf again for a lot of people. And and big shout out to Groton native and former uh, employee of the Robert Trent Jones golf course, Jeff Corcoran, uh, a local guy uh, who, who's uh, now made Oak Hill uh, his uh, pro, somewhat permanent residence. And uh, I think all of us in this business really marveled, uh, particularly at the grass around the bunkers. Uh, I know at Beth Page, um, with the large bunkers there, uh, managing that bluegrass, managing that turf around those bunkers uh, gets really uh, gets really hard. And I thought Jeff and the crew did a spectacular job. But on a serious note, Chris Harriman down in the Mid-Atlantic uh, posted a tweet about some skin cancer and of all places behind his ear. Right. You wouldn't think that'd be necessarily a place, but wear those bucket hats. Uh, listen. Uh, sun exposure as we get into the season is is a big deal. It's a, a part of the hazard, uh, a, a, a workplace uh, hazard uh, associated with this line of work. So just a shout out there, Carl, before I pass it on to you, that uh, safety first. And I know you've got a, um, a rant here about uh, uh, pesticide use reduction, and let's hear it. Yeah, so Frank, we've had these conversations uh, with our New York State Park Golf Course superintendents for many years. Uh, they are focused on obviously providing uh, playing conditions for for uh, their players that that reach a certain level every day. Uh, but being state parks, they're interested in in the products they're applying and trying to reduce that as much as they can while still maintaining uh, those playability thresholds. So we talk a lot about, hey, what's our pesticide use? We measure pesticide risk, and one of the big things we've learned over the years, we've published a couple. Uh, articles on this now is that uh, your pesticide applications to the larger areas of the golf course, the fairways and the rough, uh, really sort of add up when it comes to the total pounds of pesticide use or the total risk compared to greens, right? We treat greens a lot more often, but hey, if we've only got three acres of greens and 30 acres of fairways, right, uh, the pesticide use on those larger areas is really sort of what drives pesticide risk. Uh, so today I wanted to talk about some of the, the sort of the IPM tenants we've used with, with state park superintendents, how we've gotten to reduce risk over the years. First one, scouting, right? Uh, whether you're doing these check plots, I love the check plots. Bill's always tweeting about some of his check plots. You can see, hey, is the pest present? Or, hey, what did this product get me when I had applied it? 
Um, and that's a really good way to figure out if it's worth it to apply it, right? So you see a couple here from um, some folks looking at disease and hey, those applications we made work. So that's how you know the disease is present. You also got to know uh, maybe the timing of application. Ben McGraw just had him on the show last week, right? He was telling us some of the data he looks at. Phenological indicators are really good um, indicators of ABW progression over the year and how you treat that. He just tweeted the other day about uh, the larvae coming up right on schedule, right? So all that's based on scouting and data. So now we have data like Ben's talking about, growing degree days, uh, phenological indicators. This up on the screen is the smith Kearns dollar spot model, right? So now we have these pest pressure models that are pretty good maybe at, at figuring out when this pest is going to come uh, and, and require treatment. So what we'd say is, hey, use that data and just monitor, right? Monitor that data, use your indicator areas, use your scouting, and try and pair that to figure out how you can use that data in the future, right? So Smith Currens, oh, if it's at 26% and I see dollar spot, okay. Notice that over time, log that, and you'll start to look for those trends. Uh, so now, okay, you can do some of those things. You can get to pesticide reductions just doing some of those practices. But uh, one thing we're looking at now at our state parks is let's incorporate some technology there, right? GPS sprayers. Uh, we did some work with Skinny Atlas Country Club a few years back, looked at their product usage before and after. Uh, they put a frost ink sprayer on, on their existing unit, and they saw reductions. Fairway product used about 15%. Greens was a little bit higher, 30%, rough about 10%. So you're looking at across the course, 15 to 20% product savings. That means less pesticide use. That's really good. No surprise why that happens, right? You eliminate the overlaps. You eliminate the, the sort of the triangles on the edge. You're, you're trying to stick a square peg into a round hole, essentially, uh, with the manual sprayer. So that's a really easy way, some low-hanging fruit. You got, obviously got to make some investments for that. Um, and that helps you spot treat. So another interesting thing I've, I've picked up on over the years, Paul Koch at, at UW-Madison and their University Ridge Golf Course uh, set up these weather monitoring stations on two different holes, the ninth and 18th holes. And they consistently measured 15% higher dollar spot pressure uh, on their 18th hole, which is really sort of this wall of trees sort of restricting air movement and, and shading that fairway compared to the ninth hole is way out in the open, a lot of air movement, right? So if you're treating these fairways, you know, five, six times a year, maybe for something like dollar spot, hey, does that ninth hole always need that dollar spot spray? Maybe that's something to think about. Again, that's maybe four acres. You can start cutting some, some product usage down. And then I love this image, Bill. This uh, You tweeted this out maybe a couple months ago, but uh, basically for those who can't see, this is a, a GPS application. You can sort of look back on Google Maps. Hey, where did I make this application? This incorporated a lot of things, right? You can see there's only specific parts of the golf course that get this application in the rough, couple of tees. It's not widespread, right? So there's some scouting involved there, I think, Bill. Um, so you're using some data. It looks like a pre-emergent application here for, for Nutsedge. Uh, you can see that initial application sort of in purple. And then there's sort of a pink application, which looks like a, a post-emergent sort of touch-up, again, using scouting. And that's even a smaller area. So uh, this really incorporates a lot of the things we we love to see when it comes to pesticide use reduction and and controlling those pests really effectively, right? Where is the pest? When is it present? Combining all of those IPM uh, tactics and technology to uh, to reduce our our product and pesticide usage. So so Bill, does yeah. Frost Sprayer generate this image, or do you have to draw it? Good question. So this is say how this happens. So Nutsedge is something that we know we get better control right as it's emerging, um, post-emergence, it's a perennial uh, warm season grass, or sedge, sorry. And so when it pops up, you need to go out with some of the different chemistries. I think I've used sedge hammer the last couple of years. 
if you wait until you see it everywhere, your control is bad. So in year one, which was now three years ago, we were later, early June, really obvious, marginal control. But then in the subsequent years, we've used that map from the first year to then roughly draw out where we see it. So instead of targeting 30 acres of rough, I'm just hitting now three acres of where I've spread, saw it last year. And then by doing that over and over, this really tough perennial weed that used to be widespread is now been minimized through three years of targeted applications right where it is hitting the same spots. And so where it's a little bit darker, intense purple, that's where we made a second application um, where we saw some breakthrough. And so um, all the GPS sprayers, like the one from Frost, they can export their shapes. Uh, and so you can see exactly where you sprayed. Uh, and then in Greenkeeper now, we're actually being able to import those and then draw boundaries right um, in those spots so that you could even just send someone out. And they just drive around and they just automatically hit all of these areas um, because you can look down at it, see what you sprayed last year, you know, make target those spots. We've even made it out too so that you can drive around in your golf cart and circle weed areas or pest areas and make real-time polygons so that you can make targeted sprays for things like spring dead spot, weeds, any type of pest that is perennial and is at a pretty similar location and therefore really reduce the amount of product you're applying. This is great, Bill. So listen, let me get through some weather because I got some PGR stuff to talk about. And I'm sure. always uh, apologetic for taking you away from the PGRs for a few years to come and study with us here. Uh, and then uh, so glad that you got back at it. Now, listen, everybody in the Northeast has been pretty aware that we're still on the cool side. It was a cooler than normal week uh, last week, which, you know, I think in many ways has slowed growth almost as much as the dry conditions. So a little bit cooler than normal. Uh, soil temperatures uh, continue to stay in the high 50s, low 60s, uh, particularly along the coast. It started to cool off. Obviously, the two-inch soil temperatures are going to respond to the air temperatures uh, pretty uniformly. So, you know, we're still seeing uh, a slowing uh, of the progression of the growing season. And again, as a measure, the real story is how dry it's been. Now, East uh, of New York State and into New England, uh, particularly in southeastern New England, Connecticut and Rhode Island along the Cape, uh, got a lot of rainfall. Uh, we stayed pretty much on the dry side here. We had a little bit of rain. And of course, everybody that watched uh, Oak Hill for a couple of days over the weekend saw the persistent rain that they got. Uh, and you can see in this particular image, if you're watching on News Channel 8 here, that uh, that rainfall was really localized in the Rochester area, but because there was no heat and electricity associated with it, they just played right through. And obviously those wonderfully uh, coarse sand greens that they uh, redid when Andrew Green went in there and redid the place uh, drained exceptionally well. Um, when you look at overall deficits, you're starting to see a pretty good deficit start to form uh, in the metropolitan New York area and really throughout the Northeast, really the only wet spot left is in the mountains of West Virginia. So, so dry continues to be the story. And, um, and you know, uh, that looks like it's going to persist, except we're going to get quite a bit warmer. There's, there's pretty widespread agreement that we're going to be 10 to 12 degrees above normal next week, well into the 80s, uh, almost every day. So we're going to have the temperatures in place. Uh, the question is, you know, are we going to get the growth? Now, just a note, because we had Ben last week talking ABWs, 
uh, Albert Kopenhofer uh, from Rutgers made a comment about larval conditions, rhododendrons. You know, you ought to be looking to make your larvicide applications uh, if you haven't done that yet. But I thought in his blog post, the particular uh, language around pyrethroid resistant populations, larvicides behave differently depending on whether you had a high level of pyrethroid resistance or not. Uh, and there's a variety of products available, uh, Tetrino, but not Soprado, Soprado uh, not available in New York State. Uh, Tetrino is available, Ferrance and Matchpoint also available. Uh, Provant might be a better choice for highly re pyrethroid resistant populations. And again, dry weather, we're not sure how it's going to affect ABW, but we all know annual bluegrass doesn't necessarily like dry weather. Uh, so this may lead to some increased injury. Now, seed head flushes out and about on the golf course. Uh, I was out in East Aurora Country Club on Monday, and you can tell we're in major seed head flush right now. So, Bill, I got to tell you, I, I'll bring you in here. You just sort of tweeted this this morning. Really appreciate it. I was so happy to see this now available in Canada. Part of what I wanted to focus on with you today was a new, and honestly, I've been at it a game a little bit here. I was not aware that a new was an effective product for seed head suppression. Um, I don't know if it works alone, but you've got some data here. You and Kaminsky just a couple of years ago did some work looking at a new for seed head suppression. Can you take a minute and talk a little bit about a new and seed head suppression? Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's still a little bit of an unknown. Um, in this here, we still have a new with proxy, just like you would use a new a Prima with proxy. So the proxy is still your bigger driver, but as um, one of our colleagues, Doug Soldat, he was applying a new at a course in Madison last year without proxy and still seeing pretty good control. And so it, there's some data out there, it's not consistent, but just like proxy is not consistent. This year, um, you know, I hit my timings. I didn't get a fall app, which was really important um, because we went from like 85 in middle of October to like 30 in the end of October. And it was just, it wasn't in the cards. And my control was, was pretty bad this year, but then the courses down uh, next door that made the fall app had great control. Right. So the timings are probably important and it's probably similar with the Anu. And so I think there's a lot more we need to learn about what Anu alone would do for, for seed head, but it is a good reason to consider Anu with, with proxy. Um, I do, do like to do proxy by itself though, first app, um, when because usually your first app, the grass is just breaking dormancy, okay. and then come in with a new proxy, maybe on your second app, 200 growing degree days, base okay. zero later. So, 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 you know, Canada, I mean, I thought this was a, a wow because Canada doesn't have proxy or embark or any of these other things. So, if if a new turns out to be on its own, something you can put out in the fall, like a proxy app, and then uh, maybe in the spring, that's going to be a big deal for, for Canada. Now, listen. Annual bluegrass, when it starts flowering, and this is all, you know, uh, you know, speculative from Tur Al Turgeon's perspective, you know, when you get this seed head flush, you get a cessation in rooting, as he would speculate here. Now, annual bluegrass has a more uniform growth rate uh, during the season, at least theoretically. Bentgrass, uh, a much uh, slower to get going, although I will say uh, I saw a lot of bentgrass going earlier this year. Uh, and I think some of it was because 
the proxy just knocks the crap out of the annual bluegrass and you can see the creeping bentgrass uh, sneaking through. So Bill, as we transition to growth, I always start out with growth potential. I know it's not everybody's favorite thing yep. on a weekly or daily basis, but over the course of the year, you can see if we're going to average, looks like we're going to average in the low 60s this coming week. Uh, it's still going to get cool at night, but be really warm during the day. You're really getting towards where the growth potential model indicates you're going to get maximum growth. Now, with maximum growth, when you start to collect clippings, Carl's done this a number of years now, you know, where you can see the bottom lines here um, are more uniform, a little bit less blipping, uh, probably some growth regulator use on, on these greens. And, and, uh, and the uh, green line above, maybe not a good PGR use. I, I know that's a very similar line uh, that we see at the Vineyard Golf Club where they can't use uh, growth regulators uh, out there. So uh, Bill, uh, just so that everybody knows, a good primer, I know it's old now, it's probably eight years old. You wrote this article back in 2015. It's still probably one of the more comprehensive articles we can find if people really want to understand the effective use of growth regulators. So I, I don't know if you have anything newer than that. But the thing that jumped out at me and what I wanted to chat with you about is I'm hearing the sales folks are getting good now at getting people on a new. I think at first people were like, you know, primo, 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 I like primo, I like what I get. And then, you know, they started to say, well, maybe you don't have to treat as much. And you look at your, uh, you know, growing degree day model here. And I, I guess essentially what you'd say is it, 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 it pretty much, you know, lasts longer. And again, in your Greenkeeper app, you've done a spectacular job in really helping people if they're able to collect clippings and make routine applications, looking at the overall growth regulation you're going to get from something like a new with a little bit of trim it. And then a lot of guys are putting their summer patch and drenches on now with DMIs and you're going to get that, you know, additional growth regulation associated with it today. And so what you've done exceptionally well is saying, okay, you use all these things individually, you get this collectively, you can get 60 to 70% uh, growth suppression, which, you know, you start getting a lot of traffic, uh, especially in walk-on, walk-off areas, and you're getting 60% suppression, you might start to see some thinning in the highest traffic areas. Now, Bill, the thing I'm most excited about is this uh, machine learning business where you're looking at predicting growth based on weather, predicting growth, looking at nitrogen and traffic, uh, predicting growth, adding a sensor. And we're going to work with you this year putting one of the sensors on our mowers uh, out at RTJ. And then ultimately the goal is, I would hope, to get to this point in your Greenkeeper app where you can put this data in, get some of this additional data, start to train the machine to be able to predict what's going to happen every day, maybe even without taking the data anymore. I, I know ultimately that's going to be uh, your goal here, but let's start the conversation with the new. Um, you know, guys like mixing, you know, I like, I put a little new, I put some primo and, and, you know, uh, you know, you got three musketeer, you got all the different types of, uh, combinations that are out there. How do you talk about, how do you talk about a new, uh, to people who might not have used it before and the kinds of responses and performance you're seeing with it? Well, I think generally we think about the different grass 
species on your bent POA surfaces at green's height, it lasts a little bit longer and you get a little bit more suppression than say your Primo. In fairway height grasses, they're very similar uh, to each other. Um, and then to, also into your athletic field heights, so Primo and Anu seem to, to work about the same. Okay. You go into the Bermuda grass warm season uh, arena and the Anu actually lasts half as long, um, mm -hmm. which has worked well, because a lot of times in those environments, people like to make weekly or more frequent applications. And so that shorter lasting and new leads to less overregulation because you're not doing what you termed initially as stacking or this kind yeah. of accumulation. Yeah. So every um, species is different. And we're doing this work for a new and now for all the DMIs. Uh, we're doing in the warm season uh, research areas this year with uh, Kearns and, and uh, Chase Straw on the seashore paspellum and zoysia and, and Bermuda grass to really understand how all of these products are working. But ultimately, every grass, every active ingredient works differently. Um, a benefit of mixing, though, is you get an additive effect. So if you increase the rates of these PGRs, you're going to see more suppression. Sometimes the label's so restrictive, you really can't increase rate much. Mm -hmm. So in order to get more suppression, you have to start layering on them on top of each other. So I use a new and trim it at my golf course mm -hmm. um, to really suppress the growth rate. I do a new at a flat standard eight ounce rate. Um, and then I'll vary my trimmit rates based on the performance of my turf. So if I'm seeing a lot of growth, I'll go up 12, 16 ounces of trimmit. If I'm seeing low growth like right now, I do a four ounce rate of trimmit. And so I'm adjusting those PGRs to help keep my clipping volume where I want it to be. When I'm in that ideal range, the greens are fast, but they're also recovering from 26,000 rounds in essentially two, two months. And so that's where I'm trying to balance is get that growth rate where it needs to be. Use the PGR as a tool to help me stay in that range. Okay, so let me make sure I got this right. Um, Anu does, has some rate restriction issues in your mind that might prohibit you from raising the rate to get more inhibition. Um, actually, it's more of Primo. Like on Primo, you're stuck at a five and a half ounce breaker rate on greens. There is a little bit of text below that allows you to increase or change that rate slightly. Um, but in order to really see a, a dramatic increase in suppression from, say, Primo, you'd have to be up at three quarters of an ounce, um, which is six times label rate. And we've done that research. It doesn't kill the grass. Everything's fine. But instead of 20% suppression, you get 40% suppression. That's the same amount of suppression you get out of trim it at a high rate. So, okay. You know, so then, okay. But then the question comes, why mix it? Why not just use, you know, I mean, I know guys that'll put on fairways, they'll put 24 ounces to trim it uh, per acre, right? Well, you can. And so one thing when you might see some phytotoxicity, although all these products can be phytotoxic as you start to get your growth rate to be too low. Um, and so that's a concern, but sometimes you can't go at that high of a rate legally. And so if you're stuck at that rate, then you can do that, that, that mix. Uh, other times too, like if I'm doing a, a root application, I'll use the trim it in there. And then if I come back a week later with uh, foliars for disease, I'll throw just the new in. And so I can you know, layer those products as needed. And like that, that graph you and greenkeeper, I can then see what the combined effect of mixing all of those 
DMIs, proxy, and PGRs together are doing. So a new is, is a, it's more tough on the, the POA than your, your primo is going to be. It's more similar to like a cut, list, a cut list than it is a trim it. It's kind of right in the middle. So we see about 30% suppression at that 8 to 12 ounce rate, um, where we've seen about 20% or less at a 5 ounce rate of primo. So, um, so again, it's a it, it's a little more like Primo in in this because in this tweet um, recently, uh, you know, shifting carbohydrates to plant roots, improving quality. I mean, I know that's what New Farm is saying. Um, it, it, is that it, it is that's because it's an early blocker like uh, like Primo. Uh, talk to me a it's little. It's a late bit blocker. About Both of them are late blockers. Late They're blockers. Sorry. That. Um, if you. You know, the, the, the plant's making so much sugar. And so if you're preventing from unnecessary top growth, then you have more sugar to, to drive rooting to, to make it healthy. That show, the graph you showed before of bank grass, where it just grows like crazy, and then the roots really diminish during the summer. A lot of that is because bank grass is a little silly. Its, its maximum growth potential from a clipping perspective is in, when the average air temperature is in the upper 70s. Well, from a physiology perspective, it's not making much sugar at that level. Mm. So then what happens is if you over-fertilize, then you're pushing all this vertical growth. There's no sugar left over to, to drive rooting. So that's why in the summer, in this graph here, we see a lot of rooting in the early spring because it doesn't start making a lot of vertical growth until it gets into the upper 70s uh, for average temperatures. So that's temperatures in the you know, highs of 90. That's what the bank grass likes to grow vertically. Um, the POA is on the other side. It wants to grow vertically when the temperatures are about averaging around 60. So it's actually on the other side of peak sugar. So when you look at that pace growth potential, that is the potential to make sugar. Cool season grasses is around 68, 70 degrees average temperature. And so as, as, those, as those growth rates um, deviate from that, that's when the problems start to occur. That's why things like bank grass in the Carolinas can't make it through the whole summer. Because it loves the, the the heat, it literally grows itself to death mm. like a like a dandelion treated with two four D, and that's why if we can use the PGRs to suppress the growth rate, keep just enough growth there to recover from traffic, then we can prolong how much carbohydrate we have to survive those stressful periods. Okay, so let's move to the future here, and um, where where you know we want to train the machine uh, to help us with this. Um, there's two things on my mind before I am, you know, get into this even deeper. Um, when you said a new is between, is more like cutlass and somewhere between cutlass and trim it, you like it. It's, it's harder on the POA. And I think of cutlass as easier on the, on the bent grass. Uh, trim it can be pretty nasty to bent grass cutlass a little easier on the bent grass. You're saying a new, if you're using it sort of to, really sort of keep your POA at bay or not see it expand. Uh, you like it e as maybe a little bit more aggressive than cutlass, but not as aggressive as trimming. Exactly. And the other thing too about this is this is why I hate doing any aggressive cultivation or any even fer fertility when the average year temperatures were 60 because the, the POA has the competitive advantage during those weather events. And so anything you're doing, you think you're helping to promote bank grass is really promoting POA because the bank grass's average temperature for growth is in the upper seventies. Mm -hmm. And so 
this time of year, I'm trying to minimize whatever I can do to keep that competitive POA from taking over the less competitive vent. Then it's the summer, I'll switch it around. More venting, more top dressing, literally bury the POA to death, fertilize more when the bank grass wants to grow and, 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 and uh, encroach on that POA, and then use these PGRs to further weaken that, that plant um, because it is a little bit harder than, say, your Primo would be. Okay, so... You know, Carl and I, uh, and here at Cornell and our new employee, Chase Scrubus, we're, we're all about being more data-driven and being able to predict these things. Um, we would like superintendents to be a little bit more predictive and anticipatory of these things. I know this has evolved for you, and I know Greenkeeper is, is giving you the platform to really utilize these things. You know, I can look at data and see in an R squared of, of, of 88 is better than an R squared of 61. Talk to me in practical terms. When you stand up in front of a group of golf course superintendents, and let's assume they're northern golf course superintendents, um, how do you get them to say, well, yeah, you can predict. Why should you even have to predict this? I can measure it, Bill. You just got me on measuring the damn thing. Yeah. We're finally getting them to put it in the bucket. And now we're saying, well, we can predict it. How do you sell this to folks uh, to tell them why predicting this is going to give them some a, a bit of an advantage? Because when you're sitting there making those decisions as to do I need to fertilize or how much PGR do I need to put in the tank today? Do I need to mix, mix those PGRs together to get more or less suppression? Should I use a more aggressive or less aggressive fungicide? You have to make an assumption of, well, where is your growth going to go over the next two to three weeks? And if you don't know, you can easily overdo it in one direction. So from our intuitive nature of managing golf courses, we know when you start getting frost, that growth rate's gonna really die off. But say you didn't know that and you're using your full summer PGR programs and it's gonna be cold the next three weeks, you would easily overregulate your turf. But because you know that, well, we're gonna have some frost, uh, that's gonna be nature's PGR. Maybe I'll just use a new by itself, right? That's an intuitive model based on your experience. That's all this is. It's just letting the computer brain bring in more factors than we can. Mm -hmm. And to just give you a, a kind of a, a little prediction. So we're actually working on building this right now. It's make it's like a graph and it kind of looks like a the cone of of uh what's that called? Like on, on hurricanes to know where is it gonna hit. Oh you the know, storm it, track, yeah, the cone of uncertainty. Exactly. Cone of uncertainty. So we predict where it's going and then we can kind of show that uncertainty grow. So at least you're getting some guidance as to do I expect it to be going up or down. And then that helps me schedule. Do I need more or less PGR? Do I need more or less fertilizer? Should I maybe hold off on cultivation or maybe I need to get some sand out next week because I think it's going to grow like crazy. That's important guidance to help craft your program along and ultimately maintain your, your turf performance. Well, and then it all, and then, and thank you for that perfect last line, turf performance. At the end of the day, the golf course superintendents are going to be judged on the performance of those surfaces, right? And you've got this really nice function in Greenkeeper where, you know, you take some green speed measurements, you give it a simple turf quality, you collected a little bit of clippings. Uh, we are regularly re getting soil moisture, uh, surface firmness, a lot of this stuff we're going to get out of the GS3 moving forward. It's hopefully, uh, you know, in the future, we're going to see a lot more integrated platforms because right now, you know, you guys and Deacon are sort of at the head of the game here. 
I think ultimately this is what guys want to do. How hard is this to do, Bill? Do you get a lot? I mean, you have a lot of users now on Greenkeeper, a lot of premium users that might be beginning to embark about on this. Um, I know you've really been working on getting these performance measurements and then ultimately predictions moving forward. What's the adoption been about this uh, use of this for performance? And, and ultimately, what are some of the things that you've learned so far with guys that are using? I think I'd say don't knock it till you try it. Everybody that I, it's one of those things, like you say, uh, Doug Soledad would say, if uh, you use a TDR meter and you don't like it, I'll buy it back from you. And he's never bought one back. It's one of those things too, where once people start entering their clipping data and even their green speed data every day, it becomes a habit and it becomes really powerful and useful um, to understand, do they need to roll more? Do they need to double cut? Can they maybe skip a mowing? And so that's an immediately practical uh, aspect of it. Um, by tracking clippings every day, we know what the end of year clipping yields look like. Therefore, we can predict how much fertilizer you've removed um, to make sure that your additions are roughly equal to your removal um, to make sure you're being efficient. And then again, we get that guidance as to what, what do we need to do from a management perspective to either manipulate growth rate. So I mean, by just writing this down, um, you'll quickly figure out where that value is. And so people that have been doing this, they um, see the, the value of two minutes a day uh, to then help make uh, better management decisions. Okay, because what I'm hoping for, much like the machine learning part, is that this is also going to help the machine that on any given day, you'll be able to say, if I've done this and the weather conditions are this, and um, it, this is a pretty typical day that I'd see, I can expect these greens to perform like this. I'm assuming yep. this is then going to give us a lot of confidence uh, overall in and not even having to take the data forever because the machine will have learned a bit. Yep, and it's done in your course and we've actually improved upon this, Frank, uh, like a couple of weeks ago now where um, you can, before you go to this page, you have optionally enter management data. How much mm -hmm. irrigation, mowing height, did you mow, did you roll, did you double roll? How many hours has it been since that from when you took the measurements? All yeah. of those are gonna be important pieces to let the site know uh, how does your green speed uh, respond to double mowing versus single mowing? Uh, and so those are some of the, the big things that uh, we're doing with the machine learning. Uh, so we have two developers working on that right now for the summer. And then my other developer is working on the GPS uh, sprayer map feed feature. So that if you have a GPS sprayer, you need to edit your boundaries, group them differently. You can import them right into Greenkeeper. Uh, edit them and then export them right back to your sprayer. And that's been a big limitation in, in the hardware is there. We needed the software and we're hoping to launch that in the next uh, couple of weeks here oh, um, to, to pull in all that spatial data and edit those GPS sprayer maps. Well, we're all in. We're getting the frost spray unit on our uh, sprayer here for Chris and Todd at the RTJ and um, looking forward to getting the sensor hooked up on the mower. Um, I know that there's another company doing this as well. So I'm really pleased, and, you know, not that you need competition, but in general, I'm really pleased that this is becoming more mainstream. We got off the hype of drones and now we're back on to actually measuring things on the ground. Um, years before I let you go and Carl, if we, uh, we can take a minute for questions. Um, how's the sensor been working preliminarily? What's your- We've used it for sensor? five years and- um... In Michael Carlson, my PhD student who now works for our company, um, he showed that we reduced fertility by 80% at my golf course, which is relative to what my standard fairway program would have been. Uh, 
Uh, we only fertilize when we need to. We can do variables prescription maps with our variable rate sprayer. Uh, and so those years we reduced by 80%. One year we didn't fertilize fairways at all. When you're managing bent grass fairways, that's important. You don't want to have thatch accumulation. And so it's really helped me to, uh, to look for trends, look for areas that need more fertilizer, like your collars or your approaches or specific collars and just target those. And so this whole um, uh, geospatial view will help. Your sensors coming to you, we're making the bracket right now. I have um, about a dozen more that are unaccounted for. So anyone out there wants some active sensors on their mowers, please uh, email me and we'll, we can uh, uh, get you set up um, so that you can be bringing in uh, that type of uh, growth data from your yeah. fairway unit. And, yeah, you know, and Carl, green... you know, like you said earlier, the 30 acre fairways, right? When Bill, when you say you cover fertilizer that much, that's music to our ears, right, Carl? And it's, and it's not just the environment and we come at it from sort of a water quality environmental perspective, but that's costs, right? That is money you can spend elsewhere in your operation, right, Bill? And, and the, other, the other thing on the, uh, the sprayer savings is, yeah, this, the, the percentage of savings on fairways is less because they're bigger areas, bigger polygons, but it's a, a larger square footage, right? So greens might save 30% of three acres. That's a small square footage. Fairways is 10% of 30 acres. That's a lot of savings. So if you are looking to like buy these technologies, if you're talking to your greens committee, think about those two different metrics. There's an actual total acreage saved or there's a percentage saved and, you know, use the one that's best to help sell. Well, and it pays control. for itself pretty quick, Bill. I mean, once you get the sensor and you're talking about 80% reduction on fairways and I'm, you know, every time I fertilize, I'm treating three to four acres less. I pay for that sensor pretty quick, right, Carl? Yeah. And you pay for the GPS. I mean, if you're using, if you're a high end sort of application golf course, you can pay for these things in literally a year and a half. Like that's how much yeah. you can. And there's eat. also the intangible is the performance side. It's not just the savings. The grass looks better. We spray our collars um, and approaches separately from our greens. We don't have collar decline issues anymore as a result from PGR stacking on collars that alone justified the cost. You know, you can talk about fertilizer savings all day, but when my collars are alive, I'm not getting pressure from, you know, my greens committee or my city manager. Of why is this looking this way? That is worth it. And so there's all kinds of intangibles on top of those, those fertilizer savings. And when I do say 80%, my normal program would have been about like eight hundredths of a pound every two weeks. And so that's what it would have been if I would have just, you know, scheduled it out. Bill, thanks for taking the time. It's yep. I really appreciate it. I know you're busy as hell with juggling a lot of things. Yeah, thanks can I just for say, taking if you're the time. interested, greenkeeperapp.com, seven-day free trial, register. If any questions, help at greenkeeperapp.com to uh, reach us. And, uh, and thank you for the opportunity to talk on your podcast today. Anytime, just... anytime. Carl, we're ready to go. Yeah, it's uh, this year. It's been a little longest 30 minutes in turf, maybe. This right. year. We have Sorry, guys. No problem. That's me. It's, it's, it's an extra 10 minutes. I think it's well worth it today. So everybody take care. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Uh, John Sorokin tomorrow, sports turf. So uh, yeah, talking know. FIFA. FIFA, yeah. FIFA, maybe yep. Super Bowl. I don't know. We'll yeah. yeah. <laughs> see maybe you, Bill. Be good. See you guys. Right, everybody, take care. This has been a production of Cornell University. On the web at cornell.edu.